Talk to my friend Drew Lennon. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative. I look this guy for wisdom. more scared and desperate in this country? Do you think it's the tens of millions of Americans who are seeing inflation, who are seeing the terrors from this current administration, this regime, who are fearing for their livelihoods because of cancel culture, because of this woke mob, because of the Marxists? Or, or, or do you think the Democrats actually are more scared? I want to, I want to tell you today, well, we've got a very dangerous situation for one. Because on the one hand, we've got tens of millions of Americans who understand, who are actually awake, who see the danger that we face in the Oval Office and in Washington, D.C. And we see no one coming to our defense. We see this country burning to the ground and the Democrat Party, overwhelmingly, who do not care, who are the ones responsible for it. But then you have the Democrats. They are acting even more frightened, I'm telling you right now. They are so scared still of Donald Trump. They're scared of you and me. That's what they're scared about. And that's why they're behaving so recklessly. I mean, these people have lost their minds. They're insane. They have shown all their cards. You know, the days of old, even when Obama was running, where he tried to keep his Marxist cards close to his vest, those days are over. Everyone can see what they're doing. From Janet Yellen, Who's calling for, uh, you know, taxation of unrealized capital gains taxes, that which has not even been earned? To the critical race theory, to the transgender policies, to the pronouns, to the issue at the southern border, 60,000 more migrants, illegals coming towards the border to invade us further? Their time is running out. They see 2022 coming. And they know they have limited time to execute this agenda. But what are they most scared of still? You and me. Do these people act, by the way, do they behave like they got 81 million votes? Do they behave like Joe Biden is the most popular president in American history? They sure don't act like it because they're terrified they're going to lose. They're terrified they're going to get destroyed. They're terrified their reign of terror may soon come to an end. But what we're seeing now is a propaganda machine like we've never seen in our American history. The spins, the abject lies, you've heard people say it. You know, they're telling you basically the sky is green when the sky is blue and they double down and say, no, the sky is green. They are so detached from reality. They are so dangerous and I want to I want to bring into the fray. I, Obama's out there stooping, stumping, stupidly stumping on the campaign trail for Terry McAuliffe in Virginia because you know they've got this governor race coming up. Terry McAuliffe has come out and used the same Marxist talking points, and it's a referendum, and they don't want to lose this battle. Have you ever seen a former president come out? 
and talk and campaign as much as this guy Obama? Why is he doing it? Because it's actually his agenda that's at risk. This is really a referendum on him because he's behind the scenes pulling the strings. This is Obama's third term. I've told you this. It's absolutely true. I told you last week, 74 of Obama's White House aides are serving as aides to Joe Biden. Barack Obama's former Surgeon General serving in the last two years of the Obama term is now, again, the Surgeon General to Joe Biden. This is Obama. This is what he put into effect. And had Clinton, had Hillary Clinton won, this country would be long gone. But something unexpected happened because they're so out of touch, they couldn't comprehend how, how they'd lost the American public still. They did not ever expect Donald Trump to win. That was where they made a mistake, a miscalculation, because they have hubris, excessive pride. They have no humility. They don't care what the reality of the situation is in America. They don't care what the American people want. They are hell-bent, hell-bent on ramming this Marxist crap down our throats and fundamentally transform the, transforming this nation. And COVID, COVID was what they used to offset what Trump was undoing. You know, we started on this course under, under Obama. He said, you know, he wanted to radically transform America economically, in every way possible, from a country, a nation built on constitutional rights in which we the people embraced our constitutional role as the masters in this nation and understood that the government's role was servant. But that was, well, it didn't fit in. It didn't sit well with these totalitarians because they cannot be restricted or bound by by the Constitution of the United States. You know, Napoleon Bonaparte doesn't care what the Constitution says, and Adolf Hitler doesn't care what the Constitution says. So great is their thirst and lust for absolute power that they can't let a little simple thing like the Constitution, the law of the land, stand in their way. And so when Clinton didn't win re-election, they freaked out. They freaked out. And I got some clips to play from Obama showing us his cards again. But first I want to talk about something, because COVID... COVID was, well, it was the nuclear option for the Democrat Party and the uh, establishment types in Washington, D.C. Now, I cannot speculate. I won't speculate on what I do not know. Now, no doubt this uh, COVID-19 came from gain-of-function research in the Wuhan lab that Dr. Fauci and our own government helped fund. It got out of that lab. We know this. What I do know is that beginning in March of 2020, whether this was intentional or not, I cannot say in terms of where these totalitarians knew, how far back their strategy went, but it is certain that once March of 2020 hit and we shut down, the Democrats and the establishment types were all in strategizing about how to destroy Donald Trump, keep him from coming back into office, and to bring about this agenda that they had been hoping that they could continue to do this slow boil, right? This introduction from the Obama years. And then they lost time with Clinton and it set them back. And so they doubled down and they used COVID to do what they're doing today. And there is a full out effort now to lie and to use propaganda 
to use this crisis that, that they created with COVID-19, right? Shutting down businesses, destroying the middle class, creating unemployment, creating an expansion of the welfare state to, to then introduce themselves like we always say, because this is the Democrat playbook, right? They create crisis and then they come in to gain more power and say, look at what is going on in this country. It is so dangerous. The government is the answer. We, the Democrat party can solve this. Of course, we know they never solve anything. They never intend to solve anything. Their end goal is a lower class and a ruling elite. That's always been the goal. It is communism. That is what these people represent through and through. It is undeniable. But I want to give you an example from an AP headline because this is going to come out like a deluge. You know, I'm sitting here in um, in Napa Valley, California. We just had uh, a week straight of just heavy rainfall, nonstop, 24 hours a day, nearly seven days for an entire week. And we've had some flooding out here. Everything's okay. Today, the sun's back out and shining. But once again, you know, all this water, we complain about a drought here in California where here was a gift from God. Here was a gift from God. You know, over a foot of rain pouring from the sky, emptying down just to be caught in reservoirs, but we don't have reservoirs. We could solve the drought problem in a rational way. We could trap this water and keep it and use it in the future when we do have these long periods of no rain, drought's nothing new here in California, but we don't build reservoirs. Why? Well, we want to have this problem. The Democrats and totalitarians here in California want there to be a drought issue. They want there to be water shortages because when they have water shortages and they don't solve this problem, they can come in and put the iron fist on us and say, you've got to, you know, shorten your water use. You can't do this. You know, they, they implement these insane uh, uh, taxes on gasoline. So we have some of the, well, we have the highest gas prices in the country always have, but now it's well over $5, $7 in some parts of California. They created this problem. They're the ones responsible for these prices. So they can come in and say, we need a green new deal. This is how they work. And so what do we have now? We have jobs that are listed by all these companies who are just desperate for employees, desperate for workers. And this is, of course, contributing to, to uh, you know, our crises, for example, in uh, Southern California, Long Beach at these ports. But anyway, they're responsible. When you lock down an economy like we did for so long, of course there's going to be issues. You have interrupted capitalism. You have interrupted the free market. You put a stop to it. And so it's inevitable that you in, in, encounter a problem like this. But of course, what was the solution? The solution from Democrat governors and the Democrat Party throughout this pandemic was not to was not to encourage people to go to work. It was to keep businesses shut down and then get them dependent upon a check from the government, welfare check. And so part of this was the federal subsidy, right? $300 a week on top of whatever you got from the state for unemployed Americans. And so, of course, that encouraged people to stay at home. They were making, in many cases, we heard early on, Trump mentioned this while he was still president. Well, this was, this was problematic, the cure can't be worse than the disease. And it's inevitable. If you pay somebody more money to stay at home than they would get at their job, well, they're not going to go back to work. And so these people were encouraged to stay home. So we know that's true. But let me give you this headline from the AP. Where are the workers 
Cut off of jobless aid spurs no influx. So here they go. Here they go. They are trying to distance us from the truth. They're, of course, trying to counteract the rational argument that we know is true, that this jobless aid contributed to the unemployment crisis, the joblessness. And so here they come with a headline saying, actually, no, no, no. These, these, these red states, for example, that cut off this $300 a week extra federal supplement for unemployed Americans, oh, it didn't spur any influx of people going back to work. So they'll make their argument here. And I want to tell you something what. This is how the propagandists work. Even they can't get through an entire article when they have to say more than a sentence. They can't get through a whole article to actually make their point. They actually will prove their point wrong if you keep reading. But we live in a culture of people that just read headlines. So I want to go through this because it's an important point. All right. So here's the argument. Many people, they argued, that would be Republican governors. Well, let me start this way. Earlier this year, the AP headline, the AP reporter writes, earlier this year, an insistent cry arose from business leaders and Republican governors cut off a $300 a week federal supplement for unemployed Americans. Many people, they argued, that'd be Republicans, would then come off the sidelines and take the millions of jobs that employers were desperate to fill. Yet three months after half the states began ending that federal payment, there's no significant influx of job seekers. Now, they're contending that they go through and cherry pick. There are some red states that haven't seen drastic improvements in their employment numbers since they took away this extra 300 a week, okay? Are you tracking with me? But let me put it this way. The red states with these red governors like in Florida, they opened back up. They didn't shut down like these, these blue states did, for example. And so those people didn't suffer the types of unemployment that's like, say, in California, for example, we did. Florida didn't lose as many businesses because they allowed their businesses to continue to operate rather than keeping them shut down. Makes sense, right? And so it is logical to conclude that if you had an open economy throughout the pandemic and people were still employed, well, you wouldn't have as many people needing to rejoin the workforce because they weren't interrupted. So right off the bat, if you just use your brain, these people are liars. So their their argument, their contention here is, you know, oh, welfare. Yeah, it didn't deter job seekers. It didn't make people lazy. Paying people to stay home isn't the reason people aren't looking for jobs. It's just a dumb Republican talking point. So I already addressed the first issue. I wanted to get into something else technical here too, okay? The definition of workforce by the federal government. So the labor force is made up of what? The employed and the unemployed. Now the remainder of those people, those who don't have a job and are not looking for one, they're not counted in the labor force. They're not counted as being unemployed. You're only unemployed so long as you're looking, actively seeking work. So here we go with this AP article again. In states that cut off the $300 check, the workforce the number of people who either have a job or are looking for one, key point, are looking for one, has risen no more than it has in the states that maintain the payment. So, let's continue here. Labor shortages have persisted longer than many economists expected, deepening a mystery at the heart of the job market. Companies are eager to add workers and have posted a near record number of available jobs. Unemployment remains elevated. 
Here's another key point that they admit. The economy still has 5 million fewer jobs than it did before the pandemic. Yet job growth slowed in August and September. So, you know, net, we don't have even enough jobs to actually accommodate people who, even if they did want to become gainfully employed. So what we have here is people not looking for jobs. And they're saying that this, this welfare check didn't contribute. But let's continue. Here we go. Um, all right. Stay with me. An earlier study by this guy named, uh, I, I don't, I can't pronounce his name. Arindrajit Duby. Duby. Okay. Dub, Dubé. Anyway, he's an economist at the University of Massachusetts. All right. Amherst. All right. So this individual and several colleagues found that states that cut off the $300 federal payment saw a small increase in the number of unemployed taking jobs. So this is an earlier study that proves this article's contention incorrect. Okay, but this study also found that it didn't draw more people off the sidelines to look for work. Economists point to a range of factors that are likely keeping millions of former recipients of federal jobless aid from returning to the workforce. Many Americans in public-facing jobs still fear contracting COVID-19, for example. Bingo! Bingo. Who's responsible for the fear porn? That'd be the Democrat Party, Dr. Fauci, and the Democrats. So here they're alleging that one contributing factor of people not looking for jobs is they're afraid of COVID-19 still. Well, gee, if you get the vaccine, you can still get COVID. If you're Colin Powell and you're double vaccinated, you can still die from COVID. But here goes another. Here's another point. Some families lack childcare. Bingo. Bingo. Do you hear me? Some families lack childcare. Do you see what they're doing here? Build back better the $3.5 trillion BS bill. Well, what's in it? They want universal pre-K. They want to indoctrinate your kids. You know, it's, they can't even wait until, I don't know, you know, elementary school. They want to get your kids indoctrinated and take them from the parents and make them their own, the children of the state, as early as possible. Some families lack childcare. Bingo. So here's the propaganda effort. Here we go. They're building this argument. They're building this argument to say that these things that they have already put in this Build Back Better bill, they're going to solve the problem. They're going to solve the problem. All propaganda, universal pre-K. So here's another quote that proves this, this, this article incorrect in their assertions. Other people like Rachel Montgomery of Anderson, Indiana, have grown to cherish the opportunity to spend more time with their families and feel they can get by financially, at least for now. Okay, so here we go. Rachel Montgomery... The welfare that she's gotten over the last year, whatever it is, throughout the pandemic, well, she's learned to do with less. She's learned to do with whatever the the unemployment check she might have gotten was and whatever, perhaps if she's married, probably married, her husband brings in. So she's not looking for work. Montgomery, a 37-year-old mother, said she has become much pickier about where she's willing to work after having lost a catering job last year. Losing the $300 a week federal payment hasn't changed her mind. She'll receive her regular state jobless aid for a few more weeks. You see, it's created lazy people. So this woman won't get her three hundred a week federal payment, but she'll 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 still get her state payment without the additional federal subsidy, and she's happy with that. She's fine, and that's okay if she wants to stay home with her with her kids. That's fine. But here we go. The fact that she's getting unemployment because of the pandemic. Well, that's changed her mind about working. She decided she doesn't want to work anymore. 
She's told herself, I'm not going to sacrifice pay or flexibility working remotely when I know I'm qualified to do certain things. But what that also means is that it's taking longer to find those kinds of jobs. There's no desperation. There's no need for her to find work. And so she's not going to join the workforce. So here we go. Here we go. The, the result and consequence of this pandemic for this individual, Rachel Montgomery, is such that, well, she hasn't been working for a long time and she can do without work. She can do without the money. She's made a decision that maybe she doesn't want to work anymore. So here's the fundamental transformation. So you've got also, by the way, you've got, I don't know, 2 million plus people who have decided to retire early in the midst of this pandemic as well. So they're not contributing anymore. They're out of the workforce. And here's another assertion in this AP article. And after having received three stimulus checks in 18 months, plus federal jobless aid in some cases, most households have larger cash cushions than they did before the pandemic. Bingo. Bingo. I mean, if you were smart and saved, there you go. I mean, you just got free money that was taxpayer subsidized. And you saved enough that, well, you, you, you don't need the money. You don't need to go back to work. We're disincentivizing people from, from going back to work. Oh, here we go. This is my favorite. Graham Berryman, a 44-year-old resident of Springfield, Missouri, has been living off savings since Missouri cut off the 300-a-week federal jobless payment in June. He has had temporary, temporary work reviewing documents for law firms in the past, but he hasn't found anything permanent since August of 2020. So this guy had saved up a bunch of money. Good for him. But now he's decided that rather than go back to work because, you know, it's not important to him and he's got savings, he's going to blow through his savings rather than go back to work because he's picky. And this is my, this is Berryman's quote. I'm not lazy. I am unemployed. No, you are lazy, Graham Berryman. I'm sorry. I mean, it's your choice if you don't want to go back to work. But you're lazy. You're sitting home, taking, using your savings, rather than get a job, no matter what the job is, to earn money. That is the definition of lazy. But Berryman insists, that does not mean I'm lazy. Just because someone cannot find suitable work in their profession doesn't mean they're trash to be thrown away. Well, no one's saying you're trash to be thrown away, but you're not contributing to the economy whatsoever. And suitable work, look, things happen. People lose jobs. You pick yourself up by the bootstraps, you go and find another job, you get additional training to do something else to better yourself. But what is this pandemic? What's the what's the end upshot of all of this? Well, this guy and millions of others now have decided that, you know, they're too good for certain work. And that they don't really have to worry because, you know, the government's going to have their back. The government's going to subsidize them. And they'll blame the pandemic, they'll blame this and that. And they'll never look inwards. They'll never accept accountability or responsibility for their own situation. They'll continue to look where? Not to themselves to better themselves, to the government to solve their problem. Here's another group. Some couples have decided that they can get by with only one income rather than two, at least temporarily. Again, disincentivized. They can get by. They can get by for now. But guess what's coming? Inflation. Well, it's not coming. It's already here and it's only going to get worse. Gas prices on the rise. Winter's coming and it has been asserted that there could be a 53% increase in electricity costs because of what? This government destroying our energy independence, making us dependent, dependent upon foreign nations for oil and limiting our own use of gasoline, of coal, etc. A war on our own energy independence waged by the Democrat Party. So for a moment, these people, by the way, can get by on one income rather than two. But when winter comes, for example, 
and they have to see an increase in 53% in their electricity costs, well, what are they going to do? They're going to be desperate. And they'll have no options. They'll be welfare recipients, dependent upon the government to solve their problem. This is what is so dangerous about what this government does with welfare. It cripples people. It cripples their, their desires, their, their inherent desire to better themselves. It limits them from reaching their full potential. And here's one more person. Hamby, Sarah Hamby, so uh, of Kokomo, Indiana. So she lost her $300 a week federal payment this summer after Governor Eric Holcomb, a Republican, ended the benefit early. Uh, her husband continued working an overnight shift. Uh, he may decide to join the ranks of people retiring earlier than they planned. Now, Hamby, the, the, the wife, Sarah Hamby, 51, she may retire her early herself if she doesn't find work soon. The jobs she had for decades at auto factories have largely disappeared. The pit positions that she sees available now require skills she doesn't have. Yet she isn't desperate for just any job. Now, I don't blame Hamby for this. I mean... Our, the government, the Democrat Party, has, has essentially destroyed auto factories. And they're trying to move them towards uh, electric vehicles and so on and so forth to fundamentally transform that industry. And she's 51 years old. I mean, if you're of that age, you're not going to go back to school and get a different skill. It's too late. And so she just may not work anymore. And so, you know, the assertion of this article, to go back to it, is where are the workers? Cut off of jobless, jobless aid spurs no influx. But what are we looking at? Look, it's like, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, I mean, they're misguiding the argument here, right? The cutoff of jobless aid spurs no influx. But the government and the shutdowns and the welfare checks are the problem to begin with. So this headline should read, where are the workers? Pandemic has created a new victim class of welfare recipients who are lazy and don't want to come back to work. And so, this is what we're going to see more and more and more of in the days ahead. They're going to try and distract. They're going to try and spin. They're going to lie in order to say that because of this crisis they created with unemployment and everything else, messing up the labor force, well, the government is going to have to come in, the Democrat Party, and expand the welfare state. Because it's not fair that people have to go and get jobs they may not want that aren't there anymore. But they eliminated the jobs to begin with, and they could bring them back. But the damage has been done, and this was intentional all along. This is what Obama meant months and months and months ago when he said, COVID is an opportunity to fundamentally transform the economy. This is what they're talking about. To make this a Marxist country in which the government controls everything and that we are simply, well, pawns in their game, dependent upon them for everything with no ability, no ability to have autonomy anymore because they're going to ensure that we have no option and nowhere to turn but the government itself. This is Drew Allen. I'll be right back. Well, we've got a, about... Ooh, I don't know. They estimate around 60,000 illegals marching towards our border right now. That's right. Another migrant caravan. They're uh, traveling north from Chiapas. 
Mexico. Well, they left this morning officially, and they're on their way to the U.S. border. It's funny, I, I saw one of them, um, that, or, or many of them, they're carrying signs saying, uh, let Joe Biden know we're coming. <laughs> I mean, what do they think? I mean, Joe Biden is the one who invited them. That's the reason they're coming. Joe Biden invited you. He's expecting you. He already knows you're coming. He doesn't need to be alerted. They're laughing hysterically and closed behind closed doors saying, it's amazing. We might get 5 million illegals in this country. By the end of one year, we are setting records. You know, the Democrat Party is all about records. First black this, first transgender this, first that, first administration uh, to facilitate over one million illegals um, coming in to destroy our country. And I am really sick of this argument, by the way, that, that, that you know, we, we these people have some right to be here. They have no right to be here. They should be greeted at the border with armed military personnel telling them to get the hell away from our border and go back to their own country. You know, one of these uh, individuals, these illegals, did an interview on the way the other day, and he said that actually they'd like to stay in Mexico because Mexico's a great country, but the Mexican government won't allow them to be there. So they're just going to go through Mexico to the United States of America and to our border because the message to them from our government is, come on over, we'll let you in. And this is what's so, I'm just so sick of it. I'm so tired of this argument. I mean, here we have people admitting, these migrants, that they'd like to stay in Mexico. Well, why aren't they staying in Mexico? Because the government has made it clear in Mexico that they aren't welcome there. And so they just keep passing through. Kamala Harris and this administration continue to search out the root cause. Well, the root cause is, we've sent a loud and clear message to these illegals, come to the U.S., all we have to do to stop this is act like Mexico and say you're not welcome here. At this point, we'd save money just building a tunnel underneath uh, 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 Mexico, Texas, border, Arizona, all the way underground and let it pop up in Canada. And we'll say, hey, we won't let you stay here, but you can f- feel free to go over to Canada. So anyway, Barack Obama... Just when you, 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 you know, your ears get a chance to relax because you haven't heard his Marxist BS uttered from his lips. Well, here he is again. Here he comes again, campaigning for Terry McAuliffe. Terry McAuliffe, who is uh, ushering in a new era of darkness and totalitarianism in Virginia. But I want to play uh, a clip here in a minute of Barack Obama. I'm going to play a few clips, and I'll stop it and interrupt and address it. Uh, But the first one is him making a mockery of you and I and tens of millions of Americans who are outraged at what this government is doing, calling it uh, trumped up, right? All of our outrage, you know, there's no real justification for it. We don't have a right to be angry. You know, we should just learn our place, sit there and abide and go along with whatever this Democrat Party wants to do to the country. Because, you know, after all, we're just the little people. We're just the servants of the government. So, so we should just shut up and sit down and let them continue to, to hollow out this country and destroy it. Uh, so anyway, let me, here's the first clip from Brock Hussein. We don't have time to be wasting on these phony, trumped-up culture wars. This fake outrage that the right-wing media's pedals to juice their ratings. Well, that's all you really need to hear to start. 
I mean, this guy makes a mockery of very serious situations in this country. Now, what does he say? Oh, we don't have time for these, uh, what, trumped up phony culture wars? Um, Barack Hussein, are you referring to perhaps like the culture war um, in Loudoun County, Virginia, where a boy in a skirt raped not only one father and mother's young 15-year-old daughter, but also a second one? Are, are you talking about those trumped-up charges, those phony culture wars that actually resulted in rape in multiple instances? You know, this makes me think, by the way, back. remember Trayvon Martin? Trayvon Martin, who he called... You know, he, he looks like he could be my son or some crap like that because he's black. So I guess any black kid could be Barack Obama's son. I guess I could say the same. If I see any tragedy for a white individual, gosh, that white person could have been my son or daughter. But remember what he said about that? And now look how crass and frankly repulsive and repugnant he is talking about this culture war. You know, we have situations in this country like Loudoun County that have resulted in a horrific crime being committed. And he's making a mockery of that situation. And of course, he goes on to say that, you know, look, you got Terry McAuliffe and, and the challenger is Glenn Youngkin, right? And Youngkin has been surging in the polls. In fact, I think it looks like he's pulled ahead of, uh, of Terry McAuliffe, who's trying to defend his position there as governor of Virginia. And that's why this is happening. This is, this, and this is what they always resort to as well, by the way. You know, when they feel like they're losing out, I mean, there is no new low to which they won't sink. I mean, they'll sink to, to lows to begin with, but when they feel like they're going to lose something, I mean, this is the kind of crap we have to deal with from them. And there's no condemnation from the media. I mean, this literally just took place. We learned about this event in Loudoun County. And yeah, I know I'm harping on it because I think it's very, very serious. I think if you're a parent out there, you can relate to it. And that happened in Virginia. And Barack Obama and Terry McAuliffe both essentially accused this father of lying. Of this horrible thing that happened to this young man's daughter, of it being a conspiracy theory. That's how sick and perverted these Democrats are. But anyway, let's continue. Yeah, the guy, the guy can hoop. That's great. I'm less convinced that the co-CEO of one of the largest private equity firms in the world spends his time washing dishes and going grocery shopping. But who knows? Maybe. But, I, I, I mean, you do notice that, like, whenever a wealthy person runs for office, they always want to show you what a regular guy they are. But uh, you ever notice, do you, do you realize how inarticulate this guy is? You know, I, I always said back when he was getting this reputation as the great orator of the Democrat Party, you know, the great messiah who could walk on water and make tides recede. Well, this guy's not a great speaker. He's actually a pathetic speaker, totally inarticulate, incapable of making a coherent thought without a teleprompter. And that's what he's doing here, and that's why I hear this gobbledygook uh, coming out of his mouth. But there he is, making fun of Glenn Youngkin. Now, he's Glenn Youngkin has money, okay? 
so what? So there is Barack Obama accusing Glenn Youngkin of trying to seem like a normal person. Remember Barack Obama? How he tried so desperately to relate to the rest of America with his, you know, all of his sports commentary, his brackets for the NCAA tournament, him going out of his way to make his predictions about this team and that team, playing basketball, talking about how he played hoops and this and that. And then you see him throw a baseball at one of those baseball matches, one of those opening ceremony pitches, and he throws worse than a 12-year-old girl. He didn't even get close. So sure, Barack Obama, the greatest athlete in the history of American presidents, who can't throw a pitch to home plate, but yes, he's some great basketball player. He's one of us, don't you know? He's one of us. You know, while, while the Democrat Party and certainly his intellectual kin are telling us that we can't gather together and we have to wear masks, well, he threw his big old party for himself on Martha's Vineyard. I don't think he was washing dishes, do you think? Do you think that, that Barack Obama, I mean, he's just like the rest of us, right? Showing... You know, having this big birthday celebration with all these celebrities there. Catering the event. Not wearing a mask. Shaking hands. Hugging people. Was he was he washing dishes that night? I, I don't think so. Somehow I don't think that Barack Obama, who has made an obscene amount of wealth since leaving the office, because of course he did a bunch of sweetheart deals for all these communists out there who are now repaying him, well, to the tune of... Well, more than $60 million. He got the book deal, he and his wife together, for whatever that was worth, tens of millions of dollars. So this is such a joke for him to come out here. I mean, what kind of person has the cojones? It's not even the cojones, but the audacity. The audacity knowing that he, that individual, Barack Obama, has enriched himself from being president who is in the top 0.000001% of wealth holders in America, who doesn't spend any time with ordinary people, who calls a bunch of celebrities his friends. How can someone like that, who's been fed with a silver spoon his entire life? Remember, you can go back to all of his educational years too, and we don't know who paid for his education, but it was paid for, it was funded, I mean, this guy's wanted for nothing his entire life and career. I mean, the guy did a bunch of drugs during college. He brags about it. And he has the audacity to come up here and accuse Glenn Youngkin of not being like normal people because he has money? At least Glenn Youngkin actually had a skill set that earned him a living, earned him money, which is more than could be said for Barack Obama, who didn't build anything. He didn't build anything. He's just gotten paid to put his name on a bunch of Netflix films. He has no pedigree in filmmaking, no pedigree in writing, no pedigree in any of the things that have earned him money. He gets paid, you know, six figures to give a speech, rakes in the income that way. He has these writers, ghost writers, who write these books for him that earn him money, and he's been doing it a long time. 
So, I mean, I can't stomach, I'm sorry, this guy, Barack Hussein Obama, the communist Marxist, and I'm not even going to play any more of the clip, it doesn't matter. It's a bunch of Marxism, and actually if I play it, you actually probably won't learn anything from it, because it's gobbledygook. It's more like, uh, um, uh, uh, I, I, I want to tell you that Glenn Youngkin, he is, I, I don't think he's ever washed dishes before, but me, I I earned every, everything I had, and... The culture wars trumped up uh, We don't need to hear any more of that. This is your round. take a short break. We got a lot to hit. We've talked about it on this show before, and I know I'm not the first to point it out. Let me ask you a question. Are you familiar with the Let's Go Brandon chant? Have you heard the Let's Go Brandon chant? And actually, more importantly, have you heard the other chant? What Let's Go Brandon is a placeholder for. The F. Joe Biden chant. Of course you have. Everyone in America, everyone around the world has heard this chant. But the administration, do you know what they're claiming? They're claiming they're not familiar with F. Joe Biden chants or Let's Go Biden. Which is an absolute impossibility. I mean, maybe not for Joe Biden. This proves one of two things, or both at the same time. Either, either, if the administration stands behind this statement claiming they're not aware of the Joe Biden chance, let's go Brandon chance, well, either they're liars, which is perfectly understandable, comprehensible. I, 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 can, I can buy that one for sure because they lie about everything and it shows how out of touch they are. And how willing they are to lie about anything and everything, like to say the sky is green. How is it possible you haven't heard this chant? Every football game in the country, they're screaming it. Everywhere you go, there's t-shirts, hats, let's go, let's go Brandon. Or, they're just that divorced from reality. So divorced from reality, so turned off of things, that they actually aren't aware of let's go Brandon, F. Joe Biden. That's just how pompous... How, un, um, what's the word I'm trying to say? Not inattentive. But how they have no self-awareness, no awareness of their surroundings whatsoever, how out of touch they are with the American people. So those are really the two options. Either they're just lying about it because they're embarrassed and they don't want to give it any more credence. They're denying it. Or they really don't know. They're really that far out of touch that they don't even know that that's happening. But I think, I have a sneaking suspicion it's the former. They just don't want to admit how bad things are. And, you know, I was thinking about, I was thinking about all these uh, 60,000 plus new illegals coming into this country. And, um, you know, there's a story out there. Well, it's not really a story. It's going to come true soon. The administration's going to require vaccine passports and COVID tests for international travelers who are coming to the United States of America? That's right. They're going to require vaccine passports and COVID tests for international travelers coming here. You know who probably won't be? It's not probably. They definitely won't be. The 60,000 plus strong caravan coming to illegally cross into our border upon the invitation of Joe Biden. Well, they won't be subjected to vaccine passports, ID checks, COVID tests or anything of the like. Is it not astounding 
that the American citizen, and now even international individuals who are wanting to come here through legal channels for vacation, they are subjected to these vaccine passports and COVID tests. But those who are illegal, who are violating the laws of this country, the administration doesn't care. I mean, how can it be that COVID is so severe, so terrible, the pandemic that will never end, it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated, they keep saying. Every American, every child has to be vaccinated, you know, to protect you and me, to protect other people. And yet 60,000 people are headed here right now. They're going to be swiftly put on jets in the middle of the night. Well, 2, 2 a.m., Jinsaki says, isn't the middle of the night. But the early morning, the wee hours of the morning, they'll be put on jets, transported to a uh, suburban neighborhood near you. And no problem at all. No problem at all. Maybe, maybe COVID only affects legal. Maybe it's a, it's a pandemic of the law abiding. I, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem to, 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 to strike fear in their hearts when it's illegal immigrants. They get the COVID pass. But if you're an American citizen, you know, your, your, your rights are actually subject to your vaccination status. But illegals, they can come here, get rights that they aren't even granted in the Constitution, and they're not dependent upon any COVID test whatsoever. But this is just more of the same. You know, I opened up this episode talking about the point that everything they're doing is by design. By design. Did you, did you, did you see the video of Joe Biden? That little town hall thing he had? And all the funny memes, right? Or, or, you know, those fancy graphic designers who are very impressive. Well, you know, he's got his, he's got his hands you know, squeeze together. He doesn't know what to do with his hands, but he's, he looks like he's squeezing the life out of something. And I joke that, you know, it's him, you know, subconsciously squeezing the life out of America because that's really what he's doing. And I want to give an example of something else that's happening in this country. Did you know that in San Francisco, where they have soaring crime, uh, police force um, that is overwhelmed, and, of course, you have the vaccine mandates that are forcing more individuals out of the police force. So they have a crime problem. Well, did you know the rich people, they're hiring personal security? That's right. That's right. Um, the rich people, this won't affect. You know, people like Nancy Pelosi, right? Who cares? You know, all you cities out there, people who live in cities like L.A., for example, Los Angeles, uh, I don't know, anywhere else that's doing these vaccine mandates, whether it's Portland, Seattle, and you're seeing 40, 50% of your police force fired? Well, this is going to directly impact you, but it's not going to impact the politicians. It's not going to impact the wealthy Democrat donors because they can just pay for private security. This is what I mean about hollowing out the middle class. The elites, those who go along with the regime, well, for a time... They're protected and okay. But you, the the majority of the taxpayers out there, you and me, we're going to get crushed by this. If you can't afford private security, you're in trouble. But I mentioned Janet Yellen too. And this is something else I wanted to hit here. Janet Yellen, uh, she's out there discussing. Let me find her verbiage here. But so, so you know, remember we heard early on as I'm looking for this, I'm talking here. I'm not a great multitasker, but stay with me. Um, the $3.5 trillion Build Back Better plan, right? 
You understand, they said, we joke about this, they said the $3.5 trillion isn't going to cost a penny, essentially. It's paid for. Well, Yellen apparently disagrees because the Biden administration has admitted that they need a way to pay for it all of a sudden. And you know their newest way of paying for it, what that's going to be? A wealth tax. A wealth tax on supposed billionaires. Now, the way I understand this, so it's an, it's a, it's a, they call it a wealth tax. It's, it's a tax, okay, on unrealized capital gains of exceptionally wealthy individuals. Now, I think the way they're looking at this is people who uh, have a billion dollars or earn $100 million three consecutive years in a row. So, unrealized capital gains. This is an atrocity. Now, many Americans out there saying, who cares? Who cares? The billionaires, they can take the hit, whatever else. I want to talk about this in two different ways. First, if we stop thinking about billionaires as if they picked our pockets and we stop looking at these individuals like they... This is my this is my problem with the argument to begin with the, with people on the left. They just look at billionaires like some piggy bank. They're not paying their fair share, whatever else. They are. They are. But this is absolutely amoral and uh, anti-American, what the proposal is. You know, unrealized capital gains, that's what you have, for example, in stock options or homes uh, you may own. Or artwork, for example, that you may have purchased. So, every year, annually, for example, let let me just make up a number to make this make sense. Let's just, and we're going to lower it below the billionaire category because it's just too hard to comprehend those numbers, I think. But let's just say you've got a million dollars in stock options. Now, you don't have a million dollars to spend, but you've got a million dollars because that's what the market says at this moment, a million dollars. So let's make up a number. So they're going to tax it at, let's say, 10% annually. So you don't actually have that million dollars. It's in stocks. You can't spend it unless you sell it, but they're going to make you pay $100,000 on that million dollars. Let's say the next year, Your stock options shoot up. There's great success in the company. Suddenly, those stock options are worth $10 million. Well, the next year, you're going to have to pay a million dollars on it. But you don't have a million dollars to pay. You're you're going to actually have to sell stock options to cover that. That's how this works. So you're not being taxed based on what you have or what you've actually earned It's not like a paycheck coming to you where they take taxes off the top. They're saying, oh, your house is valued at a million dollars this year, more than it was last year. You owe us $100,000. Where does that $100,000? You know, if you inherit a home, for example, and that home is worth a million dollars, it's already going to be very hard for you if you don't have some extra income flow to pay the property taxes on it alone. But then if you take into consideration that the government is now proposing that that home, if it goes from 1 million to 1.2 million, you're going to have to pay a 10% uh, tax 
on what the supposed alleged value of that home is at the moment. So it's reaching beyond what you have. It's actually reaching into some future income that isn't even accessible to you. And so, you know, there's a great example, just to give one more to make it clear, in PJ Media. Stephen Green writes this article, and he's saying that Yellen and Biden are coming after your IRA next. So the example that, that Green gives here, he says, look, uh, let's pretend for a moment, he says, that I'm a young entrepreneur whose company just went public. I've been personally scraping by to get my business going, working long hours and not taking much pay. Overnight, though, the shares I hold are worth a billion dollars. Now, sure, he's using an example that's not going to happen for a lot of people, but it's a great example. And actually, he goes on to prove how it's going to affect the the average investor as well, which is you and me. So here he goes. Let's also pretend that, that you, all right, you listening to me right now, you're a smart investor. And you bought a few shares in this newly minted billionaire's IPO. And you tucked them away in your IRA account. So the billionaire, overnight billionaire, who has stock options worth a billion dollars, he doesn't actually have a billion dollars. He just has shares that the stock market values at a billion dollars. Okay? So what Yellen and these wealth tax proponents are saying is, you made a billion dollars yesterday. And since you're a, he says, a naughty rich person, you have to pay taxes on that money that you don't actually have. So what does this new billionaire that doesn't actually have a billion dollars in cash have to do? Well, he has to sell off enough shares in his own company to pay the tax bill. And so his sell-off is going to reduce the value of our shares, those of us, middle America, who actually bought shares in this company. So it reduces the value in our retirement accounts. So we end up paying this billionaire income tax even though we aren't billionaires and haven't made any income. And so his point is, you know, every year around tax day, there'd be a big sell-off theoretically because you've got to pay whatever it's valued at. I mean, and this is pretty severe. Like, I mean, let's say... I mean, if a stock option goes from $10 a share to $100 a share, that's a great success. But, you know, this billionaire that owns that stock and has a lot of stock options, 50% or more, whatever it else, whatever else it is in this thing, well, he can't pay for it. So he's going to have to sell stocks, which is going to lower the stock prices. And so anyway, this is actually opening up a very dangerous door as well. It never starts... Well, it, it always starts this way. It always starts as some, okay, let's just soak the billionaires. But then it's going gonna, it's gonna to set the precedent for them to reach into other Americans' pockets in their future income. That's what always happens. You have to understand that once you open up this door to these totalitarians and set that precedent, well, that door is wide open and they're going to storm through and expand that. It's what happens with the welfare state every time. They get a foot in the door and then they try to expand it. And furthermore, this billionaire tax, even if they propose this and go through with it, it still won't pay. It still won't even cover a trillion dollars. So they're still going to have to find other ways to pay for this. This is not about paying for this egregious bill. 
This is about expanding the power of the federal government. They do not have this right, even under the 16th Amendment. And if they, if they decide they have this right, we need to repeal the 16th Amendment right away. I mean, honestly, the 16th Amendment is problematic to begin with. Because, you know, this taxation that we're experiencing today, this excessive taxation, this is the very thing that the Founding Fathers went to war over. They went to war over excessive taxation, this idea of taxation without representation. And again, we are not represented today in Washington, D.C. These people, look, more than 50% of this country does not want all of this welfare crap they're proposing, universal pre-K, universal health care, universal you name it, the Green New Deal. We don't want it. But they're trying to shove it down our throats anyway. So we don't have any representation. But anyway... The 16th Amendment stuff, this taxation, I mean, this is above and beyond. They are saying that they can come after our future earnings, earnings that we haven't even made. And that is a very, very dangerous precedent indeed, something that that they must not be allowed to do, just like they want to spy on, well, middle America's bank accounts, $600 transactions. That's not coming after billionaires. That's coming after you and me. I mean, this is an authoritarian state they're trying to establish, just like in communist Russia, just like in communist China today, where the the, the government does not have limited power. They have unlimited power to do anything they want, to spy on the American citizen. And this is so outrageous. I I know what people on the left say, well, if you don't have anything to hide, what's the problem? You know, nobody has a right to spy on somebody, to see all their text messages, to listen to all their phone calls, just because, well, what are you scared of? It's privacy rights, what this nation was built on. Privacy, property rights, freedom of speech, the Second Amendment right to bear arms, all of those things are under attack because a free society they make says Yoda. But anyway, this is Drew Allen, and I'll be right back to close out. And we're back to close out. I, uh, I just want to close out with this, this story, okay? The UN has admitted that the global coronavirus lockdowns had no discernible impact on CO2 emissions. Can I say that again? So we had these lockdowns in which people were not driving their cars. The highways were open. People were locked down in their homes. Carbon emissions, according to the leftists and the the climatologists, the climate cult, that says that CO2 production Well, it's directly responsible for tornadoes, hurricanes, any inclement weather whatsoever, hot days, cold days alike. Well, we're told time and time again that we need to move to green energy, that we need to move to electric cars, for example. Well, we locked down. All of those CO2 emissions were drastically reduced because no one was driving anywhere. And yet, 
there was no discernible impact on emissions. Which tells the sane American, well, what we already knew, that man-made climate change is a hoax. But they're going to double down anyway, regardless of this admission, and, and continue to demand that we hand over more of our liberty, more of our autonomy, all of our unalienable rights in order to save the planet. I've said this for months and months and months and made this prediction that climate change is next on the docket. They are preparing when COVID, that threat, no longer has legs, or even if 100% of Americans were vaccinated, they would then be forced to move on to the next thing to take more of our liberty, and that will be climate change. That's always the end goal. They stoke this fear amongst the citizenry, not just in this country, but throughout the world, to buy into this myth. I mean, they're predicting now, I just saw, by the way, that you know, New York's going to be under water by 2100 if we don't act now. And yet, for the past 30 years, they've been predicting that Manhattan would be underwater by, well, a decade ago. It's not underwater. They predicted the Maldives would be underwater more than a decade ago. It's not underwater. And that's why we need to be firm, too, when we talk to these climate cultists. They are absolute liars. But the strategy is the same as COVID. If we don't act, 2.2 million Americans could die of COVID. If we don't do this, and it's always proving something in the future. You know, if you don't stop eating meat, the world will end. Well, we won't be around to see it anyway. And that's the new strategy now, right? Manhattan's going to be underwater by uh, 2100, they're predicting now. Well, perhaps they're getting smarter because none of us are going to live to see the year 2100. And then when we're coming to an end, they'll say something else. Oh, it's going to be 2120 now. They keep moving the goalposts. That's what they did with COVID, right? 15 days to slow the spread led to year-long lockdowns. We just need to get a vaccine. We get the vaccine. Well, we just need X amount percent to be vaccinated and uh, and then we'll be good. And then they say, oh no, now we need like 90% of the people vaccinated. Now we need 100% vaccinated. Now we need children vaccinated. It never ends with these people. That's why we can never give an inch. That's the lesson we must learn. We must fight these people. It, look, I've been saying this too. Most of us, you listening, like me, look, can we ever understand or comprehend why Ted Bundy did what he did? Can we understand the depravity of Adolf Hitler? No. Good and decent people, moral people, can't understand evil. What drives them? Because we're not driven. We think about our families providing for them. We want freedom and liberty. We don't go to sleep at night plotting how we can steal liberty from someone else, how we can reduce someone else to our slave and our servant. We don't do that. They do. But we don't have to understand the why. We just have to recognize that they're doing it and put a stop to it. That's what's important. And then finally, you know, we, we have Dr. Fauci. He should be in prison. And this is a point I've been wanting to make to you when I got back behind this microphone. Fauci lied about gain-of-function research. We now know that 
He was funding gain-of-function research. He lied under sworn oath to Rand Paul and others who questioned him in those hearings. And, and what's amazing about these, these Democrats is that their corruption knows no bounds. Just when you hear something that is a violation of the law that is as bad as you think it could possibly get, Fauci lying, Fauci lying about mass, Fauci lying about this, Fauci lying about that, Fauci lying under oath, which should sentence him to jail, about not funding gain-of-function research when he actually did know about it and participate in the funding of it. Well, now he's also responsible for greenlighting and participating in gruesome, gruesome torture of dogs. Beagles, nonetheless, because beagles, well, they're, they're friendly. They're kind. They're like sheep. They go along. They don't put up a fight. And so Dr. Fauci is an abuser of dogs. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting. I don't know where PETA is on this. I haven't heard anything from PETA. They're outraged. But uh, anyone who can torture, torture a dog, man's best friend, that's a sick, sick individual, a sociopath, if you will. And that's what I've been saying, too. These Democrats are sociopaths. The ends justifies the means. They don't have any morals. They are absolutely amoral people who will stop at nothing to achieve their ambitions. But a giant's woken up, and they're about to be punched in the face. Punched in the face. Because the American people have had enough... And I believe they've miscalculated again. This is why you have Obama on the stoop, on the stump. <laughs> I keep calling it a stoop. But while he's, why he's stumping for Terry McAuliffe. These people are scared of us. They are. And they should be. We're rising up against them. And we've got to keep fighting. We've got to keep our heads held high. Because there is nothing that we cannot achieve as Americans today. We have overcome so much in our history, and we will continue to overcome more as we move forward. But just know this is literally, and I mean this, a battle between good and evil. We being the good people, and those in government, especially those Democrats, are evil. And we won't tolerate this anymore. It's time to choose a side. It's time to join the Rebellion, so to speak. The rebellion's here. Now is the time to look in the mirror and decide, what side of history do I want to be on? When you look back at Nazi Germany, for example, and I brought this up before, but have you ever asked yourself, like I have, how, how, could, how could the German people allow the Nazi party to get away with what they did? Well, it's a slow burn. I mean, Germany was decimated in terms of economics. They were beaten down. They were a, a, a shadow of their former selves and their glory. And Hitler came along and promised them the world. He said, give me everything and I'll make this right. Give me everything and I'll correct this. Give me everything and I will restore Germany to the mantle of greatness that you want it to be. 
But to get that power, they had to destroy the country. That's what we're witnessing today. But we're not Germans. We're Americans. And we've been in precarious situations before, and we've done the right thing and stood up. Whether it was the Civil War, whether it was the Civil Rights Movement, we've always done the right thing, and we'll do it again. We're out of time today. This is Drew Allen. God bless you. Until next time.